the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. Welcome to the interview with Hugh Hewitt, sponsored by AndrewandTodd.com. Andrew and Todd are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. They help you with all your real estate lending needs. If you're refinancing your home, if you're buying a new home, if you're a senior who wants a reverse mortgage, if you're a veteran who doesn't want to put any money down, whatever it is, if you're in the private real estate market for yourself, and maybe you want an investment property, try AndrewandTodd.com or call 888 Now on to the interview with Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt inside the Beltway, live on a Thursday morning where the Senate Republicans and Democrats have agreed to punt. And you might expect me to close with breaking news, but I'm breaking news about Dante. 100daysofdante.com. That's the number 100 days of Dante. D-A-N-T-E for the benefit of the Steelers fans. What is it? Well, I'm joined by Anthony Nussmeyer and Matt Anderson to explain that, both of the Baylor community, I believe. Matt, welcome. Uh, is, is Anthony also a Baylor Bear? Uh, sadly, he is not. We are not also <laughs> honored to be Baylor Bears, but it's a sign of the scope of this project that our good friends at the University of Dallas, we've got the Catholics and the Baptists who've joined up together. Uh, and it's worse than that. We also have Gonzaga University, uh, you know, who we beat in the national championship that's a part of this project. Templeton Honors College at Eastern University, our friends out at Biola. Uh, we got a lot of schools involved with this. So, no. Oh, and Whitworth. I can't forget Whitworth as well up in eastern Washington. So, uh, it's a great Anthony, project. Anthony, I am so glad that we have a Dallas guy here uh, as a fellow member of uh, the Tiber Gang, uh, tell me how you came to get involved in 100 Days of Dante. We've had Matt on before. I love this project. I want everyone to know about it and participate in it. Yeah, we love it, too. Thanks so much, Hugh, for having us on this morning to talk about um, who is the man who is undoubtedly the world's greatest poet. Um, I'm obviously a little bit biased being my background is in a, as an Italianist and a medievalist. So I, uh-huh. I study Dante for a living. As I tell my students, I'm a dentista, not a dentista. So uh-huh. if you have problems with your teeth, don't come and see me. But if you have problems with reading Dante, uh, that's when you want to come see me. And so I became involved in the project through our former president, uh, Tom Hibbs, um, who just left the University of Dallas this past spring. Uh, he had come from Baylor originally, and so was familiar with the work that Matt and others are doing at the Baylor Honors College. And when they approached Tom with this project, he asked me to be the point man uh, at the University of Dallas. And so my job is, as I've been telling people, is sort of executive producer Dallas uh, version of 100 Days of Dante. So my job has been to wrangle our fellow faculty members uh, to do various Conti and, and video lessons uh, for the project 100 Days of Dante, and also to promote the project to a broader audience um, in which I think uh, we've been quite successful. I'm going to come back and talk to you about teaching Dante in a second, but Matt Anderson, for the benefit of those who did not hear the first conversation I had with you, explain the project, its genesis, and how people get involved. Yeah, so I was teaching Dante to undergraduates last year, last fall, and I had a great time of it, and students really resonated with it. You know, it's it's 
an old poem, and it's very strange and foreign to them, but they connected with it in a way that did not surprise me, having taught a little Dante before. Uh, and I thought that I would write my way through it. I've got a little newsletter, and I thought, you know, this, there's good stuff here that could help people live their lives better. And I would spend 100 days writing my way through it. There's 100 candy or 100 sections of this poem. And then I thought, 100 days of Dante... How is that not a thing? How come no one has done this? Uh, and I was scrolling Twitter as one does, and I saw a tweet from Pope Francis where he actually encouraged high schoolers to read through the Divine Comedy this year in 2021 because it's the 700th anniversary of uh, Dante's death. It was on uh, September 14th. And so I thought, look, if there's going to be a thing, 100 Days of Dante, this is the year to do it, 2021. So on September 8th, we launched uh, the project. We've got... Uh, videos from faculty at the universities I've mentioned and a few others that we've got 100 of these videos that are coming. A new one comes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. They're seven to nine minutes. You can get them by podcast. They're very digestible. And the aim is to walk through each of the sections of these poems in a at a manageable pace and to provide a little instruction about what Dante is doing within this section with the aim of highlighting its spiritual and moral significance. The commitment of the project is that this is a text that can change people's lives if you read it appropriately. We have teachers who have been teaching this in classrooms, in many cases for decades, much longer than I, who are much more qualified than I. Uh, and so they, they are fantastic at highlighting the literary aspects of the text and the moral and the religious significance of the text. So that's the project. It's one let, let me, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Let me ask uh, uh, Professor Nussmeyer, as a longtime uh, teacher of Dante, if a homeschooling family or any English classroom in the United States began this project, would their year be profitable? Because they get about 100 classes a year in, say, an 11th grade, a 10th grade, a 9th grade. Would that be, in your view, a good substitute for whatever else they were going to teach? I, th I think so, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I have young children, and I started reading abridged versions of Dante's comedy to my boys when they were three years old, for example. Oh. Uh, and, I, and I certainly know of teenagers, eighth graders, young high schoolers who have been reading the entire Divine Comedy. Uh, not only profitable, but this is a, a work that is concerned uh, with the saving of souls. Um, often when I, when I teach Dante, I reflect on an article published back in the 70s in Commentary Magazine by former Cornell University political scientist uh, Werner Danhauser, who talks about liberal education being concerned with the architecture of a student's soul. And he says in this article that we must uh, treat three big concerns or three questions, and those questions are God, love, and death. Uh, Dante's Commedia has these in spades, right? In Inferno, we have death. In Purgatory, we have love. And, of course, God in the final canticle of paradise as Beatrice and Dante make their way up through the spheres of the heavens to ultimately lay, lay their eyes on the ultimate object, which is God himself. And so I, I don't think there can be anything more profitable, uh, at least as far as reading a literary work, than to read Dante. Uh, and his, his beauty is to take the particular and to make it universal, as all great authors do. And so I would recommend this to any homeschoolers, any high schoolers, uh, those who attend uh, classical education charter schools, but really anybody. You know, Professor, you remind me, I'm older than you are, and in my parochial education, there were four great things you were to reflect on every day. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. You've got it down to three. But I, I didn't get any Dante through 12 years of Catholic education. Why did he fall out of favor? 
Well, I'm, I'm not certain that Dante has ever really fallen out of favor. Um, the incredible part about the success of Dante's comedy is that it has nearly always mattered. Um, you know, often those literary works we deem great or classic uh, were not well received right away. I'm thinking recently about an article I read in the New Criterion about Moby Dick, for example, which was a commercial and critical flop initially. The greatness of Dante's poem, on the other hand, was recognized immediately. And save for, let's say, a few relatively fallow periods, it's remained thus for 700 years. Um, there was a fallow period in the Renaissance where Dante was criticized for being too capacious. Um, and in the 19th century, uh, Dante was interpreted differently by the Romantics. Uh, but what has happened in the 20th century and 21st century is not necessarily that the whole poem has fallen out of favor. It's that we focus too much on Inferno and not enough on the second and third canticles of the poem. We focus too much on the titillating aspects of the first canticle of hell. And we've not focused on the sort of corrections that occur later on in the poem. And this is true of parochial education as it is uh, the broader education. And so part of the aim of this project and in my own work is to bring people to the entire poem. You know, that is very interesting, Professor, because, and I'll, I'll give this first to Matt Anderson. I think Dante has gone into a little bit of eclipse because it does involve judgment and the entire post- moral age in which we live is based on there not being any judgment by anyone of anything. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it seems to me that the, I mean, look, the Inferno is a hard text to read. And when you teach it with undergraduates, um, whether they're religious or not, they struggle with the way in which Dante at points participates in the punishments of the sinners. As he goes down deeper into the levers, levels of hell, he responds to sinners in ways that are not compassionate, that are, don't seem sympathetic. And that's, that's very hard if you're an undergraduate to wrestle with. And so it's a, a little bit of a paradox because hell is also the most, I don't know, exciting of the text if you're an undergraduate, that some of the the descriptions of the punishments are positively horrific, and so it's very easy to be titillated by it. And so even though they dislike the judgment, they, they see it, and it's, it's exciting to them in a way in which, say, the, the Paradiso is not. And so I, I think your intuition that it's fallen out of favor in part because of the judgment is partially right, but it's also the only one that we read because it's, it's just exciting, um, which I think is a little disturbing. Uh, uh, professor, can you pick up on that? My, my view is that millennials want to be loved and want to love everyone. And to the extent that anyone's behavior is in any way opposite of the natural law, they are uncomfortable with saying so. They're going to be uncomfortable with the divine comedy. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that discomfort is perhaps uh, lessened here a little bit at the University of Dallas um, at our students, we have a core curriculum at the university. Every single undergraduate student, at least in theory, reads the entire Divine Comedy, not just Inferno, Purgatory, and Paradise. But in other places, um, it's absolutely true that we've become uncomfortable with uh, what you called uh, this sort of any sort of judgment. And um, this is the case because of what Rod Dreher has, has deemed moral therapeutic deism. Right, this idea that, that God is nice and he just wants us to be happy. Um, Dante wants us to be happy as well, but he understands that we are living uh, in earthly misery and that we need something more. And Professor, something can, I, more can I, I want to jump in for a second. Sure. When every American condemns the Taliban for the suppression 
of women, the blinding of them to education, their illiteracy, when they whip men who play classical music, when they do anything, when they stone gay people or they push them from towers, we're all making judgments, right? Why is it that we are so willing to make those judgments but not those closer to home? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, it may also call into play the question of, of why is it easier to be charitable um, for those that are far away rather than those that are, that are close to us. And I think it may be because we have um, a sort of perverted conception of mercy uh, these days. And one that is very far, by the way, from, from Dante's conception of mercy. Um, as we move through from inferno through purgatory to paradise, there, there is certainly redemption. Uh, right? Dante wants to bring us from a state of earthly and spiritual misery to a state of earthly and spiritual happiness. And that's just not something we're willing to, to get involved in. We, we, we do have this vision of God as some sort of um, nice, kind deity um, through whom we do not pass any judgments. And Dante does. And, and so these are hard things for, for moderns to understand. Professor, uh, no one ends up as a Danteist. By accident. Would you quickly tell us how you ended up being a Dante scholar and a teacher of Dante at the University of Dallas? Absolutely. So I came through to Dante through beauty. This is a, a response that is somewhat verboten in the modern academy. But I began reading Dante and was attracted to Dante simply because it was beautiful. To read Dante in the Italian is to be, I tell, tell my students all the time, is to be transported Reading Dante in translation is fine, and, and we all have to um, make peace with reading great works in translation. We can't all read all things in the original language. But to read Dante in the original Italian is to have, quite, almost quite literally, a divine experience. Um, so I came at Dante through the, this question of beauty, um, and also because I began as a sort of medieval historian before becoming um, a literary critic and, and a teacher of Dante. Um, so, you know, Dante has, has been my lodestar all along and, and a guide because really the Divine Comedy is a great pedagogical text and it holds great lessons for all of us, even lessons for us as teachers. And so it's the perfect vehicle uh, through which to reflect on education and a true liberal education. Now, I'm going to leave it to Matt Anderson, though, to pick up the task of persuading people that it is profitable to read it in English. Because I keep Montaigne's essays on my bedside, and I tell everyone I can't speak a lick of French, and anyone who's heard me pronounce it knows that's true. But it is profitable there unto me to read it anyway. What about Dante, if you can't read Italian? Yeah, I mean, look, I can't read Italian. I've got Latin, and so I, I sort of fake it. I cr I've got the Italian <laughs> on one page. <laughs> And the English on the other, and I pretend that I can pick up a little bit of the Italian, but I don't read Italian. And I still think it's a profitable experience. And I think it's a profitable experience in part because the, the imagery in, that Dante uses and the themes that he addresses are so deep and so pro profound that they come through even in any good English translation. I mean, I started reading Dante with Dorothy Sayers's. English translation. Sayers was a friend of C.S. Lewis, and she translated almost the whole thing. She died before she finished it, and it was, uh, Paradiso was finished by her friend Barbara Reynolds. And she, you know, she opens the whole thing midway through this life, 
the journey of this life were bound upon. I woke to find myself in a dark wood, the right road, holy lost, lost and gone. And those three lines have been burned in my mind ever since I read them the first time. And maybe I was a weird kid. It, you know, Dante <laughs> is in the middle of this midlife crisis, and I've been having midlife crises, crises since I turned 18. And so it was just another one for me, reading this text and thinking, what, what am I going to do at this? Uh, but the themes that, that Dante that captures, that he distills so well, are so resonant with so many different experiences and people that you can't not profit from it even when reading it in the English translation. So, Matt Anderson, let's close by giving me some metrics. I just checked. The, the website loads very easily. It's a beautiful website, easy to navigate. How is it succeeding as a project? It's succeeding extraordinarily well. Look, we've got 15,000 people who have subscribed across our various platforms. You can go to Instagram.com if you're on the platform, slash 100 Days of Dante, and see photos from people who are doing reading clubs. We've got uh, high schools that are undertaking this project in full. My favorite story, I've got an undergraduate who emailed me who said he is reading The Divine Comedy in English translation to his roommate every <laughs> night before they go to bed. Uh, he reads it to him as a bedtime story and then closes, uh, turns off the light, and then they watch the, the videos as they come out. Uh, we have people who are participating in this everywhere from 80 down to 10. Uh, so it's been a phenomenal success. Uh, it's been a ton of fun to do. Okay, last question for Professor Nussmeyer. Is there a best audible edition of Dante's Divine Comedy in English? Do you have a favorite that people listen to? Uh, I do not. <laughs> so uh, Matt might even be the, the best person to answer this question. Uh, if I do listen to the Divine Comedy, uh, I, do li I listen to it in, in Italian. Italian. Of course yeah, you did. Yeah. Uh, Matt Anderson, you got a suggestion there, or, is that, or are you going to mail me one? I'm going to have to mail you one. I read books. I'm afraid I'm not an audiobook listener. But, <laughs> but there are on Audible um, BBC stylized versions of the Divine Comedy. Uh, you know, the BBC does these radio theater things, and they've done one for the Divine Comedy that are extraordinary. And so if you, it's not like the full text just as such, but it is audio, and it will give you a taste of what's happening in the Divine Comedy. And they're, they're of course, as everything to be. BBC does, immaculately done. So I'd, I'd commend that to you. Matt Anderson, Anthony Nussmeyer, thank you both. 100daysofdante.com. It's not too late. It will never be too late. You simply start your 100 days whenever you want to start your 100 days. Am I right about that, Matt? That's exactly right. Uh, so you can catch up with us. We're only on Canto 15 uh, right now, so you can catch up very easily, and the website's going to live forever. It will go on and on and on. Thank you, Matt Anderson. Thank you to Anthony Messmeyer. Thank you all for listening. That concludes today's The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. That concludes today's episode of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. AndrewandTodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888 You'll be glad you did and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.